Welcome to Abuelas en Acción, a podcast for our common good. I am Dr. Rosemary Celaya Alston, and I'm here with my co-host, Marie Dahlstrom. Oregon Latinx account for 26% of the COVID cases, despite being only 13% of the population. Latinx families have also been devastated economically. Bold action is needed by community leaders, policymakers, and coalitions in order to achieve equity for Oregon's Latinx community. The Oregon Latinx Leadership Network is a collective movement of over 100 Latino-led and serving community organizations who state, and I quote, the first come, first serve processes have created greater inequality for Oregon's Latinx community, end quote. This crisis demands that we move away from inequitable policies and practices. Today, we're talking with the founder of the Oregon Latinx Leadership Network, Oyen. His name is Anthony Velis. Oyen is a collective movement of over 100 Latino-led and serving community-based organizations. Anthony is also the owner of ISO Public Relations and Marketing, a multicultural agency specializing in the Latino community. The son of a farm worker, farm workers, Anthony has always had passion for the community where he lives and works. He has also earned the trust of the community as the first Latino ever elected to the Woodburn School District School Board in Oregon and only the second Latino elected to serve on the city council for the city of Woodburn. Anthony currently serves on the following boards, the Oregon State Board of Education, Oregon's fifth congressional district and Oregon's Youth Authority State Advisory Committee. Welcome Anthony, we are so happy to have you with us today. Thank you, Rosemary and Marie, glad to be here. Anthony, would you please tell us about a defining moment in your life? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, this will take me back to um, when I became a school board member in the city of Woodburn. Um, I was the youngest, um, um, the first Latino, like as you mentioned, to ever be elected to the Woodburn School Board when we were by far the majority already. So it took a long time to have a representation on that seat. And um, so I was the, I was new. I was about one or two months in, the youngest. And one day I came, I was working at Nike at the time, came to our typical board meeting. And it, it was at a school at that time, French Prairie Middle School. And I thought, wow, there's a lot of cars here. There must be a parent event or community or family event because at one of the schools. So I walk in, the place is packed, um, walked in and I'm like, what's going on? There was people, you could just feel the tension. And I literally sat at the end of um, the uh, Diaz there, Diaz, and because um, I was the last one to get there because of traffic. And and somebody whispered in my ear, um, a mother and a daughter were tragically killed the night before um, crossing Highway 214 in Woodburn from the high school. Um, and across the street is a farm worker housing development corporation. And so I was like, wow. And and it was and and so what happened. And I just, you know, it was just happening so quickly. And the next thing I know, since I got there late, the gavel hit and everybody looked like I felt like in slow motion, everybody turned to me because I was basically the only Latino. And this was a farm worker uh, community. It's all Latinos. And I just like swallow, you know, it was like, and it just like, 
you know, instantaneously, what am I going to say? Right. So literally <laughs> I, um, everybody, cause I was the only Latino. I, I literally stood up, walked in front of, uh, to the family. They were sobbing, of course. And I got on one knee and I gave my condolences and which didn't really matter, you know, um, in the moment, right. And the children and, and, um, I think, you know, that, and then I addressed, then I, you know, did that. I came back and I addressed the, um, you know, the community. And we basically spent like two or three hours there just talking about that, obviously. And I think, you know, so um, to them publicly, I made the promise that I was going to do everything I possibly could to make sure that this tragedy would never happen again. And long story short, I helped lead the efforts to actually put sidewalks on the highway and lighting and crosswalks. So I think that was probably the one of the most defining moments. It's very tragic, sad, and I wish it wouldn't have been that moment, but I will say that's probably it in my life. It's sometimes those kinds of experiences that transform us and changes our pathways, right, Anthony, into a, a direction that's totally different right on the spot. Exactly. I just had to um, react and take everything that I'd learned um, from my past and my experience and just, you know, put it to hopefully good use. And I think I did. I'm sure you did. Please tell us about the Oregon Latinx Leadership Network and also the term Latinx. Many of our listeners really want to understand what that important term means. Yeah, thank you. That's a great, two great questions in there. Um, let me start with the, uh, the name, actually. We'll start there because that's probably uh, the most controversial <laughs> at times. And, you know, the Latin, Latinx is a new term. It's a relatively new term. It's a more of, a, I, I believe, an, an inclusive term. I have children in college and they use that term a lot. So I can honestly say they influence me and their peers. And it's a non-binary, you know gender neutral. So, um, you know, I think that was one of the reasons, but also too, I think it was um, something new and it, it was different. And I thought it would definitely catch attention, which I think your question probably <laughs> speaks to that. But I think more than anything, I do think language is fluid. Um, I remember growing up as farm workers, you know, we were known as Mexicans. And then I think it turned you guys, you two can correct me, right? Mexican Americans and went to Chicanos. Mm -hmm. And then in the Reagan era, it went to Hispanic. And then Latino, and I mean, so you know, fluid uh, language is 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 fluid, it's evolving, and I'm not. And people ask me, you know, because I do my marketing, what is the right term? And I go, there is really, to be honest, no correct term. I think it's really about self identity. That's the term that we use, and um, you know, to again, our our reason is to be more inclusive and to be inclusive. But we understand that there's a lot of people that basically won't accept that term you know they, they're latino they're hispanic and they prefer that and that's completely okay i would just say that we hope that we get beyond that that the word and really it's about the the action that we're taking um so with that um i guess to kind of tell you the quick story with the uh, oregon latinx leadership network i um in march of last year i was sitting in my home and i was one of those fortunate latinos to be blessed to be able to stay home um during the covid a crisis when it started and but I knew you know instinctively having um, been a lifelong resident of Woodburn my family arrived in 1946 and my grandparents experiences my parents and mine in the fields um, I just knew that, that the Latino community was going to be the great the greatest impacted and it certainly has played out um, exactly like I had thought um, so you know as you mentioned Marie you know the Latinos are overrepresented in COVID deaths in cases and really, you know, all like post-trauma um, with COVID-19. And then you think of all the social determinants 
beyond just the pandemic. But, you know, um, as we all know, you know, education has been impacted, obviously health, healthcare, um, employment, small businesses, um, housing. So it's had a great, great impact on our community. And um, I guess to end that, to, to answer the final the question is that, you know, when I, when I sat there um, and any of the work that I do, I always think about the group that I come from and, and, our, and I think I try to support the most. And those are, so when OYAM was created, I thought of the um, undocumented, the, indigen the indigenous Mesoamerican, the homeless, the hungry, the incarcerated, the marginalized, and really the, the invisible, the voiceless. So I bring that spirit and them and all of those individuals with me in all of the work that I do. And the network itself, has it, um, has it flourished in the area in terms of what your mission is? Absolutely. So, um, Oyen, you know, uh, um, pivoting to that question. So when we started it, um, I actually called 80 of my good friends across the state of Oregon, Latino, Latina, executive directors who lead uh, community-based organizations or work for that support the Latino community. And so we started hosting these town halls, which we do actually to this day, every Wednesday from 12 to one. And, the, and our two pillars with Oyen are, um, one is equitable investment and resources in the Latino community and equitable um, representation. So nothing about us without us, right? So those are the two pillars that regardless of what we're talking about, those are what we're advocating for. The main areas that I mentioned um, are healthcare, education, uh, housing, employment, small businesses, um, just to name a few there. And, um, and what we've been doing is really organizing ourselves. We wrote a call to action last uh, spring and that we send out to every public elected official in Oregon. And one of the things about our town halls, it's, it's our space, so to speak, the Latino space. And so we've, we've had our guest speakers, such as Senator Merkley, Governor Brown, every pretty much agency uh, director head. And, and I think really, you know, what I, what I basically, the constant thread theme that I um, basically advocate and mention to everybody is that Oregon, the Latino community of Oregon is by far the largest ethnic minority group in Oregon, hands down, period. We're the only ones in double digits. You mentioned we're like at 12 plus percent. We're over 500,000 Latinos. We have over 100,000 non-citizens. We are over 25% of the K-12 um, student base. That's over 125,000 students. And we're right now currently one in four births. So, but you know, with all that said, if you look at the um, equitable, dis the distribution of resources and investments in our Latino community or representation, you wouldn't know it. And I like to say is that we are the invisible majority because I, believe, I really believe society has ignored us. What are some of the priority issues, Anthony, in terms of responding to the health and education economic needs of Latinx families? And have, and have they been disproportionately uh, impacted by the pandemic? I think you just answered that and shared that, but in Woodburn alone, uh, where there's an enormous large population of, of farm workers, what are you seeing are the major issues? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been evolving. So right at the beginning, you know, um, information um, was lacking and still today, I think what the way the system set up is perfectly set up. If you're um, middle-class, uh, you've got access to the internet and you know, you can surf the net or look at 
uh, digitally or on your phone and whatnot. But our farm worker community doesn't fall in that. So what's, what happened is a lot of information that was really critical information about wearing masks, uh, social distancing, uh, washing your hands was not reaching our community. And it still does it in real time. It's always like delayed, right? So I think that was definitely hurt us. Um, I think, you know, with a farm worker access to uh, PPE, which is personal protection equipment. I mean, if you haven't seen videos or photos, um, even during the wildfires, right, which exacerbated everything, you know, our community was out there working with literally cloth mask or just putting their shirts over their mouths. I mean, it was unacceptable, right? And so we, we try to, that's a big issue. But I think those are the two one, big ones right now is um, in the beginning. But then when people started having COVID, there was impossible for our people to self-isolate, right? So then they would um, infect or, you know, they would um, basically pass the COVID-19 virus along to each other. And, and then they would have these break, you know, breakouts, you know. So that was, we've advocated to try to, to get the resources um, to the farm worker community so that they could um, self-isolate in hotels or wherever we could find places for them to do that and then actually still get paid. And then the other piece obviously is the whole employment piece. Um, you know, as we all know, um, non-citizens are ineligible to receive any federal funds. So um, that has greatly impacted our farm worker community because we have a good number of them that are undocumented or non-citizens. And so they haven't been able to access any resources. So. Um, there was a there is an effort um, to raise um, funds to help um, offset because you know a lot of us were able to access that uh, two trillion dollar cares money those stimulus checks but our undocumented community hasn't so well anthony thank you for the work that you are doing and everyone in oregon who is working on behalf of equity for latinx families um can you please uh, talk to us a, a little bit about Latinx small businesses and how have they been doing during this pandemic? And what is needed for businesses to not only recover, but to thrive post-pandemic for us to get it right this time? Because one of the things that we talk about on our podcast uh, is Oregon being a progressive state that is really wanting and and. and committed uh, to doing the right thing. Um, uh, if they can't get it right, I think it's tough how states like Texas and Arizona can get it right. So we really look to Oregon, California, and Washington uh, as model states for um, finally being able to um, uh, get closer to equity for Latinx. Yeah, great question. And, you know, I think that, um, in the beginning, uh, I think we were probably similar to other states uh, because this was all new to everybody. So um, so specifically related to small businesses, because I was the president of the Woodburn Downtown Association. I am a small business owner myself. And what I will speak to in the beginning, it was not good. And, and actually today, Latino businesses are not faring as well as non-Latino. So let me give an example. So when we had the PPP loans, right, and we've a lot, a lot of us have heard of it, it was those, that system that was set up nationally was first come to serve. So um, in, in Oregon, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty in tune with small businesses and, and statewide through OEM. And I figure about 99% of the Latino small businesses um, were either at the back of the line, or they didn't even know there was a line to get into. And, um, but, but that just happened because 
that was the way the system was set up. So this next go around, which we're into right now, we've, you know, we put a lot of um, information in place like communication. So for example, we work with Business Oregon to get information translated into another language and have it ready so that it goes out even before the English um, um, announcement, say for example, goes out because again, there is this lag time for Latino business owners to get information because of many reasons. Some of them is a digital divide, obviously language barriers. And you know what, we're just busy working, right? Um, so that's one thing. Um, but I would say, you know, the impact of the, one of the greatest, um, again, impacts is lack of um, is capital, right? So those that could get loans, tried to get loans, some of them got them at best. But then we have, a lot, again, a lot of non-citizen uh, business owners. So they are not ineligible to receive any federal funds, right? Not even a penny, because that could um, really um, impact negatively their immigration status or process. So what, I, what we've been advocating for is to the state of Oregon to utilize their state funds, because there's not that public charge that's associated with federal funds first, and then, um, and then use federal funds. Um, can, um, can you uh, talk a little bit, uh, are you seeing uh, a, an improvement? I, I really appreciate your talking to us about what Oyen and other uh, advocates have been doing to, um, to change that first come first serve uh, process. What about the vaccine rollout? Are you, uh, what's going to happen with that? Because what we've seen in um, states around the country is that Latina, Latinos and other communities of color, other vulnerable um, communities are often at the back of the line there as well. Correct. And, and that, that, again, played out true in the beginning. But what we're doing here is working with the Oregon Health Authority and the governor's office to, um, you know, one of the, 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 it's not the simplest, but we have, you should, we're being very intentional. For example, we had a COVID-19 uh, vaccination for 80, you had to be 80 and over because that's the, that's the line there, but specifically targeting Latino, Latino uh, community members, elderly, right? Elderly people. And we hammered away at that. And because if you just kind of create this blanket, um, you know, build it and they will come, that doesn't play out. In Salem, Oregon, we have a state fairgrounds. And I heard and I was, it was reported that there were very, very few Latinos there. But that totally makes sense because, again, um, because of digital divide, communication and whatnot, access to the fairgrounds in general, right, to get there, and the distrust of government at some level, right? So what we're trying to do is work with the community-based organizations that have been in, in our communities for decades um, and uh, work with the people that they know, like, and trust, right? So that's, that's the way we've been combating it. Uh, we've got a long way to go. As far as the farm workers, you know, um, you know there's been an issue about um, using race and ethnicity as a, as a category, right, to, to vaccinate people. But, you know, our, we, what we've been advocating for then is our farm workers are essential workers, right, even though they're treated at times as disposable workers. Uh, but we've been advocating for them and, and trying to push them up in the, because that's where really in Oregon all the, out, the outbreaks are happening in the Latino community, um, especially mm -hmm. in the agriculture and manufacturing sector. Well, Give us some action steps, Anthony. We really appreciate you being here with us today and updating us in terms of what you and Oyen and the state of Oregon are doing in order to um, uh, respond to the 
you know, the issues, the barriers faced by our, our Latinx communities and, and other vulnerable communities, of course. Um, what are some action steps that listeners can take to support the work of OIN? I know that there are um, listeners that are probably wondering, uh, how can we contact you? What can we do to help? Absolutely. Thank you. That's, uh, thank you for that question. And yes, um, so this past January, all this work has really led us to the 2021 legislative session, um, which we're in right now here in Oregon. And what we're doing basically is we had a summit on January 16th. We had over 400 participants and we kind of really broke down the um, priority areas. And then we're using that to springboard us into the leg legislative session. So what we're doing now we're going through a process, a real quick process. It's been uh, drinking water out of a fire hose, as you can imagine, but um, to train our community because our legislative session this year is in all virtual. So you can either call in, uh, you can either write a letter or you can obviously do a, a, a video conference in, but, but that's new, right? That's something new. So we have to train our community on how to access the legislative session because before obviously it was in person. Second thing we need to do is, um, talk to them about our, our legislative priorities. And then our third thing we're going to be doing is um, host a, a legislative day. And, um, and then, excuse me, there's one more and also support and, um, you know, fight against some of the bills that are happening. So to answer that, again, the question is that, you know, really to contact us, uh, Oyen, um, and contact me, and we can get you plugged in. We're, you know, we are a collective movement, so we're all volunteers. Uh, definitely uh, contributions, donations is uh, would be a big help. Um, I haven't mentioned, but um, last fall we were awarded a $5 million grant from the Oregon Health Authority to help combat COVID-19. But that specifically was really to help our Latino community. And we broke that into four buckets. One was we wrote grants to community-based organizations that probably otherwise wouldn't be able to have access to any grants because they're so small. The second area is we um, are conducting a research project with Portland State and Oregon State on the impacts of COVID-19. The fourth is we bought millions and millions of masks and distributed them to all four corners of the state for our farm workers. And the fourth area that I'm in charge of is our statewide multilingual um, communication campaign. And we're doing it in Spanish, Zapateco, Mixteco, Mom, and Perepucha. So that's a once, I think that's the first maybe in the nation to ever do that. Oh, that is just amazing. Uh, just amazing, Anthony. And uh, blessings to you and your family and, uh, you know, and all of the Oregonians that are working so hard on behalf of our vulnerable community members. Rosemary, did you have any thoughts? I, I love the four pillars that you just mentioned. Um, Anthony, in terms of what that what equity truly does look at, um, as far as getting people what they need to be able to continue to do what they need to do, looking at the long term effect of what grants, you know, they come, they go, what's much more sustainable. And then the actual communication itself, I, I recall learning that a lot of our communities, um, sometimes 75 and older, 65 and older, have um, challenges with literacy. And so a lot of how they learn things is through the radio or their yep. own cable stations, right? As a marketer, you're, you're aware of that. 
Um, but then they, they're still very fearful of what that vaccine means, whether or not ICE is going to be there if they go. Are there um, clinic vans that can go to the communities rather than having to go to fairgrounds or football stadiums? All of those issues that, that become a barrier for people to be able to be at the front of the line instead of at no line or back of the line. Yes. Exactly. And, um, and I, I love your quote, if, if we could use this, and please um, correct me, nothing about us should be without us. Is that what? Nothing about us without us. Without us. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Because many people speak for communities that, and, and we, we do need them, don't get me wrong, in terms of some of the things that they have to offer. But, you know, drilling it down to the very core of only having one fruit to share with your entire family for the day. And being able to speak to that really is about us. Yes, absolutely. Well, one more thing, uh, Anthony, what is your um, uh, website? How can listeners find your website? So we are at www.oln.org. And um, if anybody wants to email us, we're at info at org. so our acronym. And, um, and I, you know, we're ready to serve, you know, one of the things I just want before we cut out is that um, another thing that we did, I want a huge accomplishment is obviously this has caused a lot of trauma and heartache and stress. And so we actually galvanized our network and we have 10 to 15 bilingual, bicultural, behavior and mental health specialists that we have deployed all over the state of Oregon. And in fact, we've bought hundreds and hundreds of Chromebooks with internet access and I've given them away so that we can do follow-up uh, therapy sessions at no cost to all of these um, vulnerable population. And I think, you know, with OYN, we just cut out the bureaucracy and we just do it, right? Um, if we would have gone through a regular system, I mean, we probably wouldn't have done half the thing, the work that we've done, but you know what? We know what we need. Nobody needs to tell it. We don't need to do any research. We don't need it. Mm -hmm. Nobody needs to tell us what, what needs to be done. We are the community. We fight for our community, and I'm really uh, feel thankful and blessed that I am able, uh, as a humble servant, to lead this movement. Well, so is, yeah. is that under OYEN, the behavioral health deployment? Yes. That is wonderful. Wonderful. Well, and uh, um, Anthony, we thank you, and please give our greetings to your parents. We know that you've been without power at your home in um, Woodburn, Oregon, as so many others around the country have been, um, but you went to your parents' house to participate in our podcast with us today, and we are grateful to you and to them for uh, having such a wonderful son. So thank you. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. Please subscribe to our podcast on Buzzsprout, Apple, and Spotify. And we always appreciate your reviews. We look forward to having you next time with us on Abuelas en Acción. Gracias. Gracias.